Here now our scripture from Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 through 6. This is Jesus talking, by the way. Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them, for then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your alms may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Andrew, and I want to thank Andrew as well for the modern worship service that we had at 945 this morning in the parish hall. There was a great turnout and a great spirit in that service, and uh, we were blessed by it, so thank you for that. And thank all of our choirs and musicians this morning. We're going to hear from the Joy Bell still. The service is just full of, full of great music. Two weeks ago, today, we began a stewardship series titled simply Treasure, one word, Treasure. Our focus on that Sunday was not the fist-sized pump that's in here somewhere that keeps us going, that keeps us strong and alive, but the metaphorical heart, the seat of our emotions, the seat of our intellect. This is the heart incorporated into the statements like, well, his heart just wasn't in it. Or she plays the game with a lot of heart. Or it's not always the team with the biggest athletic budget and the biggest athletes who emerge victorious, but often it's the team with the biggest heart that emerges victorious. And should we ever misplace that metaphorical heart, it's pretty easy to find. All we have to do, all we have to consider is our treasure. Where's our treasure? And then we'll know where our heart is. Last week was Andrew's Time to talk about stewardship, and the text had to do with not being able to serve two masters, God and money. And I thought about that saying that I heard years ago, money is a terrible master, but it's an incredible servant. And then today, I hope we can rally around the idea, the notion of giving our treasure back to God. It's not a difficult notion to embrace if we have previously embraced the notion that all of our treasure, all that we have comes from God. And I understand some folks get their hackles up, get really upset when you start talking about giving back. They say things like, well, I earned it. I worked for it. I deserved it. What do you mean? Give it back. And it makes me want to say, hmm, where do we get the physical strength and the intellectual ability and the raw materials to work and to earn and to build and to become generous? Where would any of us be without the equipping, the generosity of our gracious God? If we tried it on our own, goodness, it would be worse than it is. 
giving our treasure back to God. God is the rightful owner. So thinking about the gospel lesson for today, sometimes we get an opportunity to be something, a part of something that's just bigger than ourselves, larger than we are. Our names may not be mentioned. We may not be the one hoisting the trophy on the stage or on the platform after the game. We may not be in the parade where the confetti falls. But it will not matter that we're not getting the glory. The glory is that we get to be a part of it, a part of something important, a part of something significant. Jacob Armstrong wrote this treasure study that we're basing some of our stewardship on this year, our stewardship ministry and, and program that we're involved with. Tens of thousands of dollars, he said, in his home church were raised for a project in Nicaragua to bring water to a village there. And his contribution, he said, was significant to him and significant to his family. But compared to the total amount that was put together, it seemed like very little. But he said, it's a powerful thing to know that my life can play a role in something bigger than me, something more significant, something more important than, than I am. And you remember that old saying, or maybe it's a middle-aged saying. It Maybe it's not been around that long. But anyway, it's amazing how much can be accomplished when we're not concerned about who gets the credit. Thinking now about the Jesus way to give, it's not a performance based on the applause of others, dependent on the applause of others. Jesus warns when we do good, don't make a performance of it. Don't take it on stage. The word hypocrite literally means an actor. The warning is not taking our faith, our religion on stage. Our actions might be a good show, but God won't be the one cheering when we do things for someone else. Don't call attention to ourselves. Jesus begins with the phrase, be careful or beware. We don't use the word beware a lot anymore. It's still a great word, I think. But most of the time we use the phrase, be careful, because we know that someone could get hurt if they're not. And when we tell our children to be careful, it's because we find ourselves full of care for our children. Be careful. Jesus gives this warning because he cares about our hearts. He knows that if we seek credit for the good we do, if our actions become a performance, then our hearts will suffer. If we start thinking it's all about us, then we miss out on God's incredible benefit that comes from being and doing good. We'll get our credit. Just like someone praying on the street corner, they get credit. People notice, but that's all there is. And it's over, it's over. And that pales in comparison with what we receive when we give humbly before God. We'll miss out on being part of something bigger, something much bigger than ourselves when we feel like we can do it on our own instead of being a part of what God's up to. So Jesus links giving to the poor and spending time with God. Those are not separate things. They're not separate attitudes or actions. If we truly want to be generous givers, and if we want to experience this life in all of its fullness as we're promised, then we need to become people of prayer. We'll never give extravagant and sacrificial ways if we're not abiding with God. So we need those secret places. We need those quiet places. We need those times apart. 
to know God, for God to know us and speak to our hearts. No one gives in large ways, or few people give in large ways simply because there's a great need, but we give in large ways because we've been spending time with God and our hearts are moved and shaped and we understand why we give and our hearts are changed and we become generous. If we want to become more fully alive, we respond to all that God has done for us by participating in all the good that God's up to around this world. And this church is involved in so much of that, so much of the giving that Andrew referred to for one roof and in other ways. If we want to see God at work in this world, then we can start in this place with this church and we can see it in so many ways. We have considered how we are investing our lives and our goal should be to invest our time our energy our resources in the things of God things that are so much bigger than what one or two of us can do on our own and it'll come up short and we'll be frustrated we get to be part of things that only God can do and we find the joy that we know when we are partnering with God in things that are for the good of this world for the broken in this world and the hurting and the needy and those who stumble in darkness. Sacrificial giving, giving our treasure back to God. God is the rightful owner after all. Is there any way to do that apart from caring for other folk in this world? Is there any way to give to God without giving to other people and caring for other people? I don't know that there is. Nelson Mandela said what counts in this life is not the mere fact that we have lived, It is what difference we have made in the lives of others that will determine our significance, determine our legacy. Someone sent me a few years ago, and I've been keeping it and waiting for a time to use it, a blog that uh, from a blog called Thoughts for Thursday, and it's uh, titled Generosity, and I'll share that with you. The writer had this to say, and uh, it helped me to understand a little bit more about this giving to others is the same as giving to God. He said, I don't always pay attention to commercials on the radio and television, but one caught my attention recently, and this was a few years ago, so when I give you some of these numbers and figures, realize that some of these have changed. He said, it was not because of any bargains that were offered or any catchy tune, neither was it due to a new product that was being offered. Actually, nothing was mentioned about any merchandise for sale. The announcement was that this giant retailer had donated 40 Four million dollars to more than 80 Habitat for Humanity affiliates. And this donation will build 40 houses and increase support for more than 60 of these affiliates. A fully stocked pantry would be in all of these houses before a family moves in. And if you've ever been up close to a Habitat build or been a part of that, you know how significant and how moving and meaningful that is for folks. This generous contribution came from public supermarkets charities, a not-for-profit organization that has $400 million worth of assets under management. Remember these numbers? A little bit old. It's, it's more now. The organization was founded as the George W. Jenkins Foundation in 1966 so that these stores might contribute to those who are in need and those who are struggling in the communities where the stores were, were located. And after Jenkins' death, the foundation became public supermarkets charities. George Washington Jenkins, Jr., born September 29, 1907, not far from here in Warm Springs, Georgia, one of eight children of a general 
store owner. He was 12 when he started working in his father's store. And when he was 16, the boll weevil destroyed the area's cotton crop, and there was great economic despair all around and disaster for the general store. So Jenkins moved to Atlanta with his family, and he began working in a series of odd jobs, including a job working for the Piggly Wiggly grocery chain, or as a friend of mine used to call it, Hogly Wogly. After his move to Florida, the store where he was employed did not do well and was eventually sold. And when that happened, he said, I turned in my apron, took the money I had saved to buy a new car, $1,300 at the time, and in 1930 opened my store next to the one I'd left. In that same year, Jenkins formed a corporation, Publix Food Stores Incorporated, and today the private corporation, wholly owned by present and past employees, number 81 on the Forbes on Fortune Magazine's list of 100 best companies to work for. And just in the top echelon of all the companies, not only in this country, but worldwide. 35th in the world, the blog says. The phenomenal success of the supermarket chain is very impressive, and their commitment to customer service is a basic tenet of the company. But the writer said, what caught my eye, what caught my attention in the radio commercial was the closing comment attributed to its founder. George W. Jenkins was once asked, if you hadn't given away so much, how much do you think you'd have today? And without hesitation, he replied, probably nothing. I don't know if that would have been the case, the writer said, but I do believe that all we really have is what we give away. Martin Luther said, I have held many things in my hands and I've lost all of them. But whatever I have placed in God's hands, that I still possess. How do we place something in God's hands? <laughs> By giving to other folk. Can't think of any other way. Some of you will remember when Wellroot was the United Methodist Children's Home, and they were on the Decatur campus, and they used to have a flea market sale twice a year, and uh, Mickey and I enjoyed going to those. I always liked looking at the books and other things there. I wanted to buy one time some sheet music for Smoke on the Water by Deep Purple, but I don't know what I was going to do with it, so I just, uh, I just left it there. But a lot of the things they had, they're really unusual things. I always enjoyed looking through the books, and uh, one of the books I found was this one, Generous Faith by Sister Bridget Haas, a, a Roman Catholic nun. It was a $17 book is what it said. I got it for 50 cents, and I think every story in here is worth more than that. So let me share just one of these stories with you about how we give to God by caring for other people. And I'll just do a, a review of it. I won't read it all, even though it, it is short. She said, in the cool of the desert dawn, I made my way down to the dry river near our relief workers compound, quiet spot where I could enjoy my inner energy and gather my thoughts before the demands of the day. There standing before the expanse of sand, I would try to pray, but would often become restless. My thoughts would turn to water. Dreams of turning on a faucet and putting my mouth underneath it would captivate me. I would imagine tall glasses of ice water. And then the taste of a sand-filled, harsh, early morning wind would break into my thoughts and bring me back to the reality of the drought in this part of the world. 
On a morning such as this, I first noticed the woman. She was further down the bank, standing with a regal bearing, and she was wrapped in attention. I watched her as she stood immobile for long stretches of time. I tried to understand what her musings were, what she was thinking about, what was going on in her mind. And one day she brought three little children in an earthen jug with her. And I watched her let go with the grasp of two of the children's hands, take the jug from her head, put it on the ground, and then she removed the infant from her back. And she lifted with grace and dignity the child to the heavens. And then I knew She was indeed asking for water, not for herself, but for her children. She returned the infant to her back and knelt down slowly. She began digging little holes in the sand with a little implement like a a spoon. And this went on for some time, and she vigorously began scooping, and I realized she had found a water hole. Reverently, carefully, she was placing water in the jug. Little by little, she continued, bent low over the water as if in adoration. And once in a while, she would dab a little water on the lips of her children. And only once did she dab water on her own lips. The right to water had become sheer gift. She said, I thought of long showers of running water while brushing my teeth, of washing less than full loads of laundry. How much water had I wasted over the years? I left her there with her children and God, but I carried in my heart for several weeks. And then one day as I was canvassing our camp, going tent to tent, checking for children who were malnourished, parents giving up hope for a starving child would place blankets over the child in a corner of the tent, waiting for death. Some mothers thought that only the stronger children had the right to eat. And these parents needed our encouragement to bring even the sickest child to the feeding center. Unknowingly, I passed Aisha's tent. She looked at me, and I recognized the woman in the riverbed. We exchanged polite greetings, she in her language and me in English. Aisha, she said. Bridget, I replied. And once we had a name connection, we, we had a bond there. We had the beginnings of a relationship. The friendship would grow day by day, and she would come to the feeding center for hot milk and a nutritious protein-filled biscuit for her, high-energy biscuit for her children. We'd smile at each other, and we would try to talk little by little. She taught me a few words, and I taught her a few. The months passed. Before long, my service in the Sudan was coming to an end, and I was having to gather up my things, and I had mixed emotions. I was going home to food and medicine and water. I'd grown to love these people, and I knew I would miss them, and they would grow weaker under the desert sun. They'd walk miles to find a, a water hole, hungry every day, and they would die of nutrition and drought. Now, on the day of my departure, I returned to the feeding center for the last time, one by one. Through tears of frustration and guilt and love, a sense of powerlessness gripped me, and I surrendered the lives of these children to God. And with a heavy heart, I realized I'd not seen Asia. And lost in this sad thought, I began my trek across the desert to get everything together and began the journey back to Khartoum. Suddenly, the sound of my name, heavily accented, reached my ears. Bridge. Bridge. I turned and saw Asia, the regal woman at the riverbed, racing barefoot across the hot sand. She had two children in her hand, and the, the baby was strong and, and nourished on her back, and she threw out her arms in a loving embrace, and then she took my hand, pressing a Sudanese pound into it. Immediately, I recalled trying to change British pounds into Sudanese pounds at the 
bank in London. The bank teller merely smirked and said, sorry, we don't deal in play money. That Sudanese pound was Asia's payment for a 12-hour day's work in the desert sun. It was worth about 15 cents. And it was priceless to Asia. It was all she had. In her language, I told her no and returned the pound. She resisted. Although I could not understand her language, her facial expressions and gestures toward the heaven conveyed her insistence and determination. Yes, Bridge, you take it. Whether I give it to you or give it to God, it's all the same. All the same, Bridge. At that moment, I realized that Asia had discovered wisdom in her life so well lived. She saw no distinction between what we do for God in this world and what we do for others. It's all the same. I opened my hand to receive the pound. And Asia's selfless and generous gift of love and farewell. Into this outstretched hand, she gently and reverently placed the Sudanese money. And as I took it, I realized that as my call to Sudan began, so my stay there ended with outstretched hands. Giving our treasure back to God by giving sacrificially to help, support, encourage others. When we give to God's church, we are the body of Christ and we are called to make a difference in this world and the needs are so great beyond our imagination in places. But God knows those places and God knows and loves those folk. I read, heard recently, the average United Methodist gives about 2 to 3% of their income to the church. So how are we doing with the sacrificial part of this equation. Amen.